All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Timothy chapter number 3, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, and also Psalm chapter number 12. So two places, 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and Psalm chapter number 12, and uh, put uh, a bookmarker or something there so that you have both of those places, and that'll be great. Last week I started a new series uh, on, on Baptists and, uh, and what makes us different and I believe that's a very important topic that we can understand. And uh, last week, I just kind of laid a foundation uh, of the fact that doctrine is very important. What we believe uh, becomes very important uh, to our faith. And, uh, and listen, we ought to know what we believe. That becomes important as well. And I'm going to basically go through, it's not original with me, it's not new, uh, it's been around for a, a long time, I don't even know who originally came up with it, but there's an acrostic uh, that, that stands for Baptist. You know what an acrostic is, right? Uh, if you write Baptist down your page, and then each letter would stand for something, all right? That's an acrostic, and, uh, and so B uh, stands for Biblical Authority, uh, A stands for Autonomous Church, P stands for the priesthood of the believer. T stands for two ordinances. I stands for individual soul liberty. S stands for saved uh, and baptized church membership. We'll throw that in there as well with salvation. It is not part of your salvation, but uh, T stands for two church offices. And S for separation uh, that would be separation really from the world and from apostasy and from government and uh, many other things. And so, uh, so we'll look at those. And uh, I don't know that we'll spend the same amount of time on each letter, but I know that this morning we're going to look at the biblical authority and we will spend the entire service on this. It's a very important, in my opinion, it is, it is tied right in with doctrine. Uh, because doctrine obviously comes from what? The Word of God. And, uh, and we're not pulling doctrine out of the air. We're not pulling doctrine out of, uh, of other places. Doctrine has to be founded in the Word of God. And so therefore, the biblical authority becomes a very important topic to us. And probably one uh, which, which probably kind of separates us from the majority of other things. Uh, let me just name a few, a few authorities that exist today that are, are something that are commonplace. Uh, one, uh, and we find this relatively, maybe not new, but it, it's really cropped up of recent, uh, and that would be science. A lot of people take science for the Bible. And, and you say, well, the two shouldn't be different. I agree, they should not. But where science differs from the Bible, then science is wrong. And I have no problem stating that. The Word of God is right and science is wrong. Uh, and, and where they do disagree, then we need to rethink our science because God created science. God created everything with laws. And, uh, and so it ought to line up with the Word of God. There should not be a disagreement between the two. Uh, but of late, uh, within the past hundred years or so, it has made itself the enemy of the Bible. Uh, and it does attack those things. And so uh, science is very important. Since, um, 
This is from the Pew Research Center. I read this this week. It says, since the 1990s, large number of Americans have left Christianity to join the growing ranks of U.S. adults who describe their religious identity as atheist or agnostic or nothing in particular. This accelerating trend is reshaping the U.S. religious landscape. If recent trends in religious switching continue, Christians could make up less than half the U.S. population within a few decades. A lot of that's attributed to science. They're uh, leaving Christianity because it's, their faith has been attacked through scientific means. I'll put that in air quotes. Uh, another one is tradition in the Bible. Uh, another one, experience and the Bible. Another one, scholarly study. We're going to look at these. And, uh, but go with me to first, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16. The Bible says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Listen, we do believe that the Word of God was given by God and that we have the inspired Word of God in our hands today. Uh, we believe that. And that becomes very important uh, for the foundation of our doctrine. Uh, over in Psalm chapter number 12, uh, just two verses really quick. The Bible says in Psalm 12 and verse number 6, The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And, uh, and so God's words are very important. These are just two verses, uh, four verses rather, that I read. And, uh, and the, it's sprinkled all throughout the Word of God how important that this book is to God. And, uh, and we, we, time would not allow us in one service to cover all of those verses. Uh, but I just want to use these and we'll start here. Uh, and we're going to look at some things. And I, I want you to be ready to turn in your Bibles. Maybe get a pen and a paper and you can jot down some of the references. And, uh, and we're going to go through some of this stuff and look at it. But the Word of God is so important. And it's something that it's not new for us. This has, been a, this has been a fight that has been around for a long time and something that is important to us. So before we get into the message, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you. God, I thank you for each and every person that's here this morning. God, I pray that you would use me as we dig into your word. And Father, as we look and, and see, God, how important your word is to us. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that, that uh, each and every person uh, would understand and realize that your word is to be the authority in our lives. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. And Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. And God, will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. 
As I started the series last week and I talked about doctrine, I said it would be a little bit different, and it is a little bit different than my typical uh, style of preaching and my typical way of, of approaching a text, and, and, uh, and certainly this morning will not be any different, uh, but I hope and pray that it helps you. Uh, and as we look at the authority of the Word of God, I want you to notice uh, this as we think about it, that the, the authority of science is actually refuted as being authoritative in the Word of God. We have to, what we have to recognize is the, this vie for the throne, that somebody wants to be in charge of everything. And, and let me just explain that this morning. There's only room for one person to be on that throne, and that's God. And God's Word that He gave us gives Him that authority. But there are those who attack that authority. Uh, let me just explain a few things here uh, about science. What does science believe? If you watch any documentary anywhere, without fail, almost 100% of them will say millions and billions of years ago. It drives me crazy. And I love science. I love animals. I love documentaries about, man, I love watching those lions attack that gazelle and get it. I, I'm sorry, I just like that. Uh, I like watching the gazelle go free, too. I, I like that, too. But I like to watch, why? Because it's God's creation. It amazes me how God designed these animals, and they point out many of the design features. They don't attribute it to God, but they all say millions and billions of years ago, and they will say that, hey, we evolved. That's one of the things that science falsely. Uh, they also say that a worldwide flood is not possible. They also say, here's one for you that's interesting. Now this is old, okay? Uh, this is not new science, but this is just kind of to help you understand how science has changed. You know, it was not up until the late 1700s that bathing regularly was accepted by science. Matter of fact, they all thought it was dangerous. They did. They thought if you, if you submerse yourself in water, that, that, that disease will go into your body through your pores. Now, looking back, we can say, wow, that was significantly in air. Okay? There were times that science was in air. It's not new that science is in air. Have you ever heard of bloodletting? Um, bloodletting was the old practice that uh, even, even well until the late 1800s that when you got sick they would uh, the sickness was in your blood so therefore if they just let more blood out you would get better now, that doesn't make sense looking back we say that's foolish that's what they that's what science did believe at one time. Matter of fact, from history.com, it says that this, that America's first president was less fortunate than France's most infamous queen. On December 13, 1799, George Washington awoke with a bad sore throat and began to decline rapidly. A proponent of bloodletting, he asked to be bled the next day, and physicians drained an estimated five to seven pints in less than 16 hours. That blows my mind. Despite their best efforts, Washington died on December 14th, 
leading to speculation that excessive blood loss contributed to his demise. I'm just saying that science has been wrong in the past. All of us would acknowledge that. All of us would understand that. Science was wrong on bathing as well. Uh, And so I'm just saying there is room for error in scientific ideas and mentalities that the leading scientists of that day would say, hey, this is definitive. Leading scientists of our day would also say there are things that are definitive. But let me tell you something. The Word of God is to be our authority. And when science goes against the Word of God, then we ought to believe the Bible rather than science. One of those things is evolution. I mentioned that in in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. You can turn there if you'd like. Uh, But the Bible says this. You can just note it down. And God saw everything that He made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had made. Now, I don't have time to go into it, and we're not doing a creation seminar today. Uh, but, but listen, those were six literal days that God created the earth. A lot of people want to bend the Bible and say, well, you know, let's interpret that as, as extended periods of time and, and the day could be longer than just 24 hours and, and they, want to, they want to try and compensate for evolution and add it to the Bible. Listen, the Bible is to be our authority, not science. And when we start to warp the Bible to agree with science, then science becomes our authority, not the Word of God. It has to be the other way around that we have to understand scientifically. Science must apply to the Bible, so science gets changed because the Word of God is to be our authority. And so when Bible disagrees with science, the Bible is right and science is wrong. There's all kinds of people that will tell you, well, the world could not have flooded. Therefore, the Bible's wrong. And make no bones about it, that is the intent of much of those people that propagate those things, is that the Bible is wrong. The whole idea of evolution. If there is no creator, then there's no authority figure over you and I. And that's the idea behind all of it. It is a religious, agnostic belief that there is no God and that there is no Creator. But the Bible's very clear. There is a God. There is a Creator. The earth was created and everything that exists was created in six literal days. And God rested on the seventh. The Bible has to be our authority. And the authority of science is refuted. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. I want you to see this in your Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. I'm not going to go through a whole bunch of scientific stuff, but I want to show you from the Word of God how the Word of God is to be our authority. Look with me in 1 Timothy chapter number 6, verse number 20. This is not the only thing that the Bible refutes, so we have to move on, but 1 Timothy chapter number 6 and verse number 20, I want you to see this as, as Paul is giving Timothy uh, some instruction. And the Bible says here in uh, 1 Timothy 6.20, 
O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith, grace be with thee. In other words, Paul was reminding Timothy, hey, listen, there are some things that they are calling science that is falsely proclaimed that is causing people to err from the faith. Hey, listen, you know what's being taught that's causing people to err from the faith? It's evolution. That says that there is no God and that there is no authority. By the way, if we all came from monkeys, then it's no wonder that people start to act like monkeys. That's really a lot of the problem. Because they think there's no authority over top of them. There's nobody to tell them what to do. There's nobody to stand before at the end of their life. That is all a bunch of hogwash. The Bible tells us that there is a God. And we ought to be careful of science, falsely so-called, that is causing some to err from the faith. Because it goes against the Word of God. And so we find that uh, the authority of science is refuted by Scripture. Uh, Listen, we don't have time to go there, but in 1 Peter chapter number 3, it talks about the end of time, and it talks about how people would reject the idea of of a worldwide flood, and they reject it willingly. So why? Because they're against the Word of God. They don't like the Word of God. Hey, listen, a lot of people don't like the Word of God. Do you know why? It tells us that we're sinners. It tells us that we need saved. It tells us that there is a God. But listen, it also, I love this part. It tells us that God loves us and cares about us. It's not all bad. It's not all condemnation. It's a great story of love that God would care enough about us to send His own precious Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross of Calvary so that you and I could be saved. Hey, that's a good news that comes from the Word of God. It's not all bad, but they don't like it because they, you know what it is? It boils down to this, and Jesus told us this, they love their sin. That's what it boils down to. Man loves darkness because his deeds are evil. And so they reject the Word of God. The authority of science is refuted in the Word of God. Hey, listen, the authority of sacred traditions, bear with me as I give you a little bit of, of history and detail here as we look at this, and I'll not go too deep or spend too much time, but listen, uh, sacred tradition for many religions uh, would say that the Bible is subject to church interpretation. In other words, that you as a person cannot understand the Word of God. That's what sacred tradition says for a lot of churches, not our church. We encourage you, read the Bible. Hey, you need to read the Bible every day. Bless God, spend time reading the Word of God. Uh, But some some churches proclaim that. Uh, In other words, you cannot understand and interpret the Bible without the church. We do not believe that. Matter of fact, I have two citations here. One was in uh, 1215. I'll just read them for you. In the year 1215, Pope Innocent III issued a law commanding that they shall be seized for trial and penalties who engage in the translation of the sacred volumes or who hold secret conventicles 
or who assume the office of preaching without the authority of their superiors against whom process shall be commenced without any permission of appeal. In other words, it was forbidden to translate the Word of God. Another one in 1229. There were more of these. I only grabbed two of them just for, uh, for, for reference sake. It says this, the Council of Toulouse uh, forbade the laity of po to possess or read the vernacular translation of the Bible. In other words, hey, what you and I hold in our lap today the, the, the Bible in English that we can read and that we can understand was forbidden to be translated in the 1200s and 1300s and 1400s, even up until the 1600s. And if they did, they were hunted down and killed. That's, that's history, folks. Why is that? Because traditions were the authority. And that only a church could interpret the Word of God. Listen, uh, that, that elevates a church or a person or a religion to the place of authority and it lowers the authority of the Word of God. Listen, the Bible is very clear that, uh, that, that traditions should not be our authority. Go with me to Colossians chapter number 2. I want you to see this in the Word of God. In Colossians chapter number 2 and verse number 6. Colossians 2.6. We're just talking about the authority of sacred traditions as being refuted. We've seen the authority of science was refuted. Uh, I want you to notice in Colossians 2.6, the Bible says this, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted up and built in Him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Look at verse number 8. He says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. He's saying, hey, listen, there are those that would spoil you. What does the what, what spoil mean? Well, you know what fruit happens when you have fruit too long. It spoils. You have vegetables too long and they spoil. You have food too long and it spoils. It goes bad. And, and he's saying, listen, you better be careful of philosophies. And what does he say there in that list of things? Um, through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. Saying, hey, there's some traditions that are not right. And you better beware of those sacred traditions that can be very much so against the Word of God and it becomes the leading authority in your life. Hey, listen, sacred traditions ought not be our authority. The Word of God ought to be our authority. The Bible is very clear about that. Jesus, we don't have time to go there, but Jesus in Matthew chapter number 15, he was warning the disciples. And uh, as a matter of fact, the Pharisees or Sadducees or one of those groups came to Jesus and said, listen, uh, your disciples uh, didn't wash their hands before they eat. That was my paraphrase. And Jesus said this, he said, he said what? He said basically was warning them uh, about the, their traditions. And he said in verse number six, 
and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God none of none effect by your traditions. He's saying, hey, your traditions have superseded the authority of the Word of God. And your traditions are wrong. Hey, listen, if a tradition goes against the Word of God, then the tradition is wrong. And there's a lot of churches, churches excuse me, that, uh, that, that will tell you, hey, this is our tradition. This is our, hey, this is the way it's always church established this, or the belief system established this. Listen, it ought to be established by the Word of God. We could go through many heirs of traditions, but we won't for the sake of time. The fact is, the authority of sacred tradition has been refuted by the Word of God. The authority of science has been refuted by the Word of God. How about the authority of special experience? You ever heard of that? Some people, they think, listen, man, I had this dream, and God appeared to me, and when I woke up, there was a seven-foot God standing at the foot of my bed, and He told me this and this and this. Wait a minute. That's a special experience. And, and the Bible says this, and they say, yeah, 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 I know what the Bible says, but this experience was so real. And I'm telling you, it was God. And, and people are convinced that their special experience that took place in their life or somebody else's life supersedes the authority of the Word of God. It does not. And I'll tell it, I'll prove it to you. Go with me to, to 1 John. We have two portions, they're really close together. 1 John chapter number 1. And I want you to see this. 1 John chapter number 1. And we're going to go back a little bit after that. But uh, look with me as we see who, who had the greatest, in my opinion, I think the disciples had the greatest experience with God. I mean, after all, they walked with Jesus Christ in the flesh. They spent three and a half years with Him, night and day, in and out. And sometimes I think to myself, man, oh, to be a disciple and go back to that time to live with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I think to myself, you know what? They didn't understand everything too well. Maybe I'm better off looking back and reading about their experiences. Maybe I'm better off the way I am. But look at what they said in 1 John that was written by uh, John himself. The Bible says this in verse number 1, 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, look at what he says, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. He's saying in verse number 1, he's saying, listen, I have touched the Lord Jesus Christ. My eyes saw the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard the sound of His voice as He talked and taught me daily uh, for those three years. He said, man, I saw Him, I touched Him, and I heard Him. Look at what he says in verse number 2. For the life was manifest, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. In other words, they were understanding that Jesus Christ was giving life and it was shown or manifested to them. Verse number three, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have true fel have fellowship with us 
and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse number 4, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Hey, listen, you know what he said? We're writing it down. Because it's one thing to have an experience and say, well, I saw this, but it's another thing to have it written down. You know what happens? It would be fun this morning. We don't have time to do it. It would be a lot of fun if I came all the way over here and I whispered something uh, to Brother Bill sitting here in the front row and I had him pass it back and pass it back all the way through that section and then jump over here and go all the way through this section and then go through that section and go through all of this section and end over here with Brother Adam and I say, Brother Adam, what did I tell him? It'd be a lot of fun. I tell you what, you would have a whole different story than what I started with. I've done it with a smaller group, and it's always hilarious how it ends, and it changes. Why? Because experiences and words that get passed on, they get changed. But listen, that's why John said, we write. We wrote. We wanted you to know exactly what it was, so therefore we wrote it down. Go back with me to 2 Peter chapter number 1. Peter also was a disciple of Jesus Christ. Just flip back probably one page there if that. And, uh, and look with me in 2 Peter chapter number 1 in verse number 16. Look at what Peter said. He said, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, in verse number 16, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Peter is saying, listen, I saw the Lord with my own two eyes. Verse number 17, For He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice from Him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the holy mount. John is saying, or Peter is saying, Hey, we were there. My eyes saw the Lord Jesus Christ. My, eye, my ears heard the voice of God that came from heaven. You talk about an awesome experience. That's an awesome experience. And he's talking about it. He's saying, hey, we were there. We saw it. Verse number 19, let's continue. And he says, we have also, what does he say? A more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arises in your heart. He goes on in verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. He said there in verse number 19, we have a more sure word of prophecy. The Apostle Peter is saying, I saw Jesus. I heard the voice of God when it thundered out from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Saying, listen, I saw him. I touched him. I heard his voice. But I tell you what, we have a more sure word of prophecy. The word of God. The disciples themselves say, hey, it's not the experience, it's the Word of God that ought to be the authority. 
And I'm just telling you, there's a lot of people running around today that will tell you, well, uh, this person had this experience and this person had this experience. Great, I don't know about those. I'm not going to put authority. I'm not saying they didn't happen, but I am telling you this. I'm not, I'll believe the Word of God over any experience that somebody comes to me with. Because experience doesn't equate authority of the Word of God. The Word of God has got to be authoritative in our beliefs. Not only that, but the authority of scholars is refuted. You can spot a scholar because he supersedes the authority of Scripture by saying, a better translation of this is. I, I read it all the time. It makes me mad. I, I want to throw the book that I'm reading in my office. It just frustrates me when I, I read these people and they say, well, a better translation is. Wait a minute. You know what you've just done? You've lowered the Word of God and made yourself the authority by saying, I know better than what's in that book, and I'm going to turn to another translation or variation or this or that and proclaim that it is better than what we have. And they have just reduced the Word of God and made themselves an authority over the Word of God. It happens all the time. They, they boast, edu I'm telling you in Christian circles today, this is probably one of the biggest things that comes out. Well, a better rendition of it is this. A better version is this. A better, listen, can I tell you something about all these new and modern Bibles? They don't know where the Scriptures are. You ask them. Where are the Scriptures? You know what they're taught to do in seminaries uh, that, that, that don't believe the King James Bible? They're taught you have to validate the text. In other words, you've got to compare this manuscript and this manuscript and find out exactly where is the Word of God. Why? Because they don't know where the Word of God is. They've elevated themselves as the authority over the Word of God. And I'm just telling you, it's a scholarly appeal, and it sounds really good. Well, a better rendition is, or a better version is, or a better way of wording that is. Listen, God's smart enough to give us what He wanted to say in His Word. We don't have to try and educate ourselves. Man has become so educated that he thinks he's smarter then God, listen to these statistics. I read, I, I looked these up this morning. I had to, I, I was just curious. I'm that way. You know, since just in the year 2000, there have been 35 new English Bibles. Just since the year, to, we're, it's only 2022. In 22 years, that's more than one Bible in English being put out every year. 35 new Bibles. Just since the 1900s, just the 1900s, from 1900 till 1999, you know how many Bibles were put out in English? 51 new Bibles just in 100 years. You put those two numbers together, that's 86. I did the math beforehand, so I don't do math on the fly. 86 Bibles in 120 years in English have been put out. Now, that's one thing. Let's go back and, and, and watch this. Listen very carefully. In the 1800s, that's 100 years, you know how many Bibles were put out? There were six Bibles 
in English put out. In the 1700s, in English, you know how many Bibles were put out? Three. Three Bibles in the 1700s. In the 1600s, in English, do you know how many Bibles were put out? One Bible. One. We'll go back one more year because I don't want you to cut it off and say, well, the preacher didn't tell us everything. I'm going to tell you everything. In the 1500s, there were eight Bibles, which happened to be the height of getting the Bible into the common language. And, and so in 300 years between the 1500s and the 1800s, there were 18 Bibles produced. And in the past 120 years, there's been 86 Bibles produced? Wait a minute. There is something wrong. There is something fishy going on with that. There's something that does not smell right with that. There's something that doesn't set right with that. And, and what, what's going on? Why do we have all this proliferation of Bibles? Why is the market flooded with this Bible and that Bible? I'll tell you why. Because they don't know where the Bible is. That's why. And they have to continually change it. And they have to come up with a new one. And they have to come up with another one. And they have to come up with this and that. Listen, there is only one Bible that we need. And that's the King James Bible. Uh, this is the Word of God. We don't need a bunch of scholars to tell us, well, the, the older manuscripts say this. And, and I have studied, I am telling you, I have put hours and hours into studying the English Bible and the Spanish Bible and, and, and the versions of the Bible. And I'm just telling you that you ask the scholars today, uh, they'll say, well, a better rendition or a better manuscript or an older manuscript. And you ask them this question, where is the Bible? They don't know. Well, we're, um, is this the Bible? No, well, no, we're... I mean, if an older manuscript pops up tomorrow, then, then they'll take that and add that to their collection and revise all the Bibles they put out. Do you see the problem that is taking place? They're not sure where the Bible is. Listen, the King James Bible is the Word of God, and, and we just need to trust the Lord and take the Word of God. I've done my study, and I'm telling you, the King James Bible is God's authority for us. We ought to take the Word of God and allow it to be the authority. Uh, listen, uh, I have more and we don't have any time. I want to show you the, just jot these down. The authority of the Scripture revealed. We've seen the authority of science refuted. We've seen the authority of sacred traditions refuted. We've seen the authority of, of uh, scholars uh, refuted. We've seen uh, the authority of of special experience refuted in the Word of God. I want you to see the authority of Scripture as revealed in the Word of God. It says there in, in uh, Psalm 12, 6, back where we were, to come full circle, it says, The words of the Lord are pure words. Listen, the Word of God is authoritative because it's pure. It's, it's, it's not corrupted. It's, it's not full of air. If, if I were to travel to Peru today or Mexico and get you a glass of water and have a glass of water from here, 
I should have had another one. And I'd say, man, it looks clear. It does look clear. You could look at the water in Peru. I've been there. And you say, man, it looks, doesn't look too bad. It looks good. Yeah. Go ahead and drink it. Oh, no, thanks. I'll pass. To this day, I, I tell people my tip is don't drink the water in South America. Don't drink the water in Mexico. Why? Because you'll feel the effects if you do. You'll know if you did. It'll mess you up. It looks good. Oh, it does look good. But listen, the Word of God is uncorrupt. It doesn't have any errors. All these Bibles, I was going to go through some verses. The Bible says that you're not to add to the Word of God. I have a book on my shelf setting in there that 8,000 differences between the other manuscripts and the manuscripts of the King James Bible. 8,000 differences. Somebody's adding something and somebody's taking things away. I'm just telling you. And, and there's differences, but the Word of God is a pure Word. The Word of God is a preserved Word. Look there in verse number 7. It says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. It's a preserved Word. It's a pure Word. We don't have time to go there. You can note it down in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 25. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. It's not just a pure word. It's not just a preserved word. It is a permanent word. The Bible says in Isaiah 40 and verse number 5, the grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Hey, listen, it's a preeminent word. That is, I love this verse, Psalm 138, verse 2. You can turn there really quick if you're close to there. Psalm 138, verse number 2. The Bible says this. This is a precious, precious verse. And by the way, most of the modern Bibles got this verse wrong because they don't like it. Psalm 138, 2 says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Verse number 2. Let's jump down there. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness, for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. It was last week or this week or sometime in the past week or so that I was preaching and I mentioned, might have been the week before, the name of God and how important it is. And listen, the name of God is important. Oh, it's spelled out all through the Word of God. It's so important. But listen, he's telling us here in Psalm 138 too that the Word of God is more important than the name of God. Why is that? Because without the Word of God, you would never know the name of God. It's written down in here for us. And this book is very important. This book has got to be the authority for everything that we believe. Not Shane Rice. I'm not the authority. I'll tell you something. I, I could be an heir. I probably am on stuff. But the Word of God has got to be our authority. Not the traditions of the church. Not science, falsely so-called. Not your special experience. Not scholarly, educated people who say, well, a better translation. No. No, we have the best translation. We have the Word of God. We have the preserved, inspired Word of God in English. And we ought to just spend our time studying it and allowing it 
to be the authority in our life. This book has so much stuff written to us, and I got good news for you. You can understand it. You can read it. Hey, we encourage you to do that. Take it home. Praise the Lord that you have a copy in your lap. You, have, you probably have a copy in your lap. You probably have another copy at home. I've got copies in my office, copies at home. Thank God for such a, a, an availability of the Word of God. But it doesn't do us any good if we don't allow it to be our authority in our life. It's like having medicine. It's like going to the doctors. The doctor says you're sick. You need to take this medicine, and he gives you the medicine. You say, all right, doc, I got it. I'm taking this medicine, and I'm going home. And you put it on the shelf, and you're looking at it. You're saying, I got the medicine. You go to bed that night. You get up the next morning, man, I got the medicine. It is sitting right there, and I got it. You go to bed. You get up the next morning. I still got the medicine. It's sitting right there, but you haven't even cracked it open. How's that going to help you? It's not going to help you at all. You've got to open that thing up. You've got to take out what they've given you. You've got to take it. Hey, listen, you can have the Word of God on your shelf at home. You can have it in your office. You can carry it around your workplace. But unless you open it up, unless you read it, unless you say, God, speak to me today, it is not going to help you one iota in your life. It has to be the authority that God speaks to you through this book. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. A lot of traditions believe salvation by this or by that. Listen, the Bible is very clear. Salvation is by grace through faith. That's the only way to be saved. You can't be saved by any other way. And this book authoritatively tells us how we can know for sure where we're going to spend eternity. If you don't know that today, let me talk with you. Let me show you from the Word of God, not my opinion, but from the Word of God, how you can know for sure where you'll spend eternity. Father, we thank you for the authority of the Scripture. God, how important and God, how we need to open it, read it, and allow it to influence our life. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. I pray, Father, that you would help any person that doesn't know for sure where they're going to spend eternity. That's under the sound of my voice this morning. God, maybe they don't know. God, I pray that they would put their faith and trust in you. God, that they would reach out to me if they need help at We'd love to show them from your word how they can know for sure where they'll spend eternity. Oh, it can be known. It's all contained in your book. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts. And Father, we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as the piano plays, maybe God's spoken to your heart this morning. We need the Word of God to be our authority. Oh, science is interesting, yes. I'm not saying science is wrong. I'm not even saying all traditions are wrong. They're not. But if they go against the Word of God, they're definitely wrong. 
I'm not saying that we should all be ignorant and not study. Oh no, the opposite, we ought to study. But when scholars think that they know more than God, we got a problem. When our experience supersedes the authority of the Word of God, we got a problem. There's a breakdown in the chain of command. The Word of God is to be our authority in all things. being played. Do you belong to Him? Been born again? Been saved? If not, let us know. You can come down to the front. I'd be happy to show the, you from the Word of God. Or if you're a lady, we'll have a lady show you from the Word of God. Maybe you're listening online. Contact us. Email us. Call the church. We'd love to show you how you can know for sure where you'll spend eternity. The most important decision you'll ever make in your life based on the authority of the Word of God. Not what our church says, not what somebody else says, but what the Word of God says.